I'm telling you, we got to sell this stuff. We've got to sell the outtakes. <laughs> oh, man. Every show I end up crying. <laughs> this is just too much. <laughs> wow. Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. I'm Dana Smith, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Hey, Dana. How are things going in Colorado? Good, good. Halfway through the week, so looking forward to the weekend. And right now, you and I are going to talk about Star Trek, so this makes for a great evening. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun, especially this episode. Oh, yeah. As I uh, mentioned on Facebook today, when we started this whole thing, we kind of wanted to jump in at this episode. It's a great episode. Yeah, it it really, really is. Hey, Dan, uh, here's something our listeners might not know. Uh, We have a YouTube channel now. Yeah, that's right. So we've uploaded a bunch of the podcast episodes to YouTube. So another option or opportunity for people to listen to the podcast. I know every YouTube channel says this, but it'd be great if people liked and subscribed to the channel. I subscribed to it. Yeah, and so did I. So I saw that we had three (laughs) subscribers today. I don't know who number three is. I saw the name. I didn't uh, recognize it. So uh, while we're talking about YouTube, I, I was checking it out a little bit more and I came across a source of information from this guy, Jay, at SciTrek. And uh, he's out of Great Britain and seems like a good source for information about upcoming Star Trek series and sci-fi related shows and movies. So if uh, any of our uh, listeners out there want to check that out, uh, I found it pretty interesting. I ended up watching a good half hour of one of his programs. So last week was Return of the Archons. And uh, we had lots and lots of comments regarding our uh, discussion on the show. Great. This is another one of those episodes that everyone seems to like. Uh, Many, many people uh, knew specific lines. And of course, everyone knew Landrew. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when we posted out there, Are You of the Body? Uh, Went to several of the uh, Star Trek uh, Facebook pages. Uh, we got a lot of hits on that. People saying peace be with you and, you know, peace and harmony and stuff like that <laughs> was some of our biggest responses that we've gotten. Uh, so far on Facebook. Yeah, that was great to see that. Uh, not only people interacting with the show, but interacting with the podcast and with our Facebook page as well. Somebody actually had a picture of the guy that really strange guy with the derby that greets uh, the the landing party in the beginning. That's right. And uh, said that he had met him at one of the shows. Uh, so, yeah, it was an autographed picture, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So maybe I'm hoping, you know, if we go to uh, Vegas this summer, maybe we can meet this guy. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I, I say, just would want him to say the line again. Oh, yeah. Your daddy can put them up, can he? <laughs> It was so weird. Yeah, that was uh, that was weird. But it was a good episode. I, I enjoyed watching that one and talking about it. Yeah, well, uh, a lot of people seem to like our comments. So, uh, and since we're talking about that, uh, I'm going to throw out some names here of people that commented and people who have been uh, sending us messages. Uh, so, big thanks to uh, John, Tobias, Ron, Dominic, Rodney, Kurt, Jim, Gloria, Claudia, Martin, David, Lynn, Steve, Jeffrey, William, Armando, Matthew, Zoom, Tyrone, Bones McCoy, and so many others who commented on our post. Way too many to mention, but I wanted to get some names in there from people who put more than one uh, message in and also contacted us. So, And these people follow us uh, around on the uh, other uh, Star Trek Facebook pages. Oh, I, mean, uh, I thought you meant like they are following us around in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I was wondering who uh, those people were. The other Facebook pages that we can be seen on Star Trek, the original series and movies. Star Trek, the original series is another page. I love Star Trek, uh, the Star Trek universe, Star Trek, original series, TV and films, Star Trek, all the Star Trek universe. There's so, all many, the, so many of them, Dana. Yeah. And they all allow us to post uh, our show details on their sites. And so uh, we're great, very grateful to that. That's uh, great. Now, did you mention that we got some emails too? Did you already say that? Uh, I was just getting to that. Well, because I think I cut you off and started talking about other stuff that we can't put in the podcast. <laughs> uh, put some money in the ramble jar, Dan. So, well, is it rambling before we start to talk about the episode, though? We haven't really uh, developed a rule around that. Yeah, well, it's pretty much rambling from the word go. And then, uh, <laughs> okay, I'm, I've got the ramble jar ready. I, you know, I'm going to say I'm not going to actually open it until we start the show. Okay, gotcha. So we did get a few emails. Uh, Chuck had, uh, sent us an email. Uh, Jim, Monica, Dan, Carol, and a few other few others thanking us for doing the podcast. And uh, a couple saying that they thought we were pretty funny, creating, making this a lot of fun. So thanks so much. We really appreciate the feedback. Yeah, it's been great to hear from people. Season one, episode 22, Space Seed. The USS Enterprise encounters a spacecraft floating in deep space, sending out a signal in Morse code. I think this is the second or third time somebody has sent them a message in Morse code. At least the second. I know that yeah. for sure. But in this case, it really is Morse code and it is, as Uhura says, what, what is being sent is CQ, the letters C and Q, which in amateur radio lingo kind of means, is, is anyone out there? I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought CQ meant like hello or something. So, Well, it, it's, I mean, it's kind of an invitation to talk. Like I'm okay. looking for someone to talk to. I've been doing ham radio, Dana, since like high school. It was really nerdy in high school and it's even more nerdy now. So in the 23rd century, you think uh, ham radio and Morse code is going to be even 10 times more nerdy? They're trying to figure out what kind of ship it is from. It seems like it's an Earth ship. And Spock determines or believes that it was uh, built in the 1990s DY-100 ship. What's cool about that ship is it kind of looks like a submarine that's had some stuff added to it to make it look like a spaceship as well. And I was, um, I was reading that Matt Jeffries, the production designer, actually came up with this ship before he designed the Enterprise. There were several different iterations of the uh, starships before they fell upon uh, the Enterprise. Wouldn't have surprised me that uh, that was one of the first kind of models that they made. And he didn't expect this one to be the Enterprise. He, from the very beginning, thought it was like a freighter. So uh, the ship is floating in and they go to do a scan of the ship and McCoy comes on and says uh, he's picking up heartbeats on the ship, but he says he didn't think they were human because they're only beating about four beats per minute. Kirk puts the ship on red alert. I was thinking would have been a good time to jettison the ion pod at that point. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was, yeah, He went straight to red alert, didn't even go yellow alert. Next button down is jettison the ion pod. Yeah, we, As we, we, all we know. learned that in uh, Court Martial. Wasn't it Court Martial? Yeah. Yeah. I just figured, what the hell? You know, in case somebody happens to be cleaning the ion pot, just jettison them out. Why not? Yeah, well, so. it would just be the janitors and, you know. <laughs> the bow-legged janitors? Yeah. The... We've already lost that demographic, so might as well just <laughs> shoot them right out of the ship. <laughs> So uh, it's kind of funny because the crew runs around the bridge. It just looked like I've got to look busy. 
<laughs> it's a red alert. I bet I better look busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've got my performance review coming up and uh if I don't, I don't want busy, to be putting the ion pod. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe we should give each other performance reviews. Actually, no, that would be bad. Let's have re- <laughs> listeners give us performance reviews. I think uh the comments we've been getting, Dan, I think that counts. I wonder if it'd be a good idea to tell our wives we're going to give them performance reviews. You try it first and let me know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, you'll be like, where is Dan? He is late. <laughs> Wait, is that a oh, shoot? That probably qualifies. All right. Hold on. Hold on a second. Hold on. I got to get it out. Hold on. I got the ramble jar. Okay. All right. I got the ramble jar. Oh, geez. That ramble jar is heavy. I don't know if you heard that noise, but that ramble jar yeah, is heavy. Yeah. That sounds like you got a rambled drum now so it's yeah <laughs> all right it's open so i gotta now control myself all right back to you dana okay spock identifies the ship as uh the ss botany bay but he can't find any registry of the ship uh in the computer library but he does point out that the records of the era from which the ship was launched are fragmentary as the 1990s was the era of the eugenics wars and he says a strange and violent period in your history your attempt to improve the race through selective breeding oh now wait a minute not our attempt mr spock a group of ambitious scientists i'm sure you know the type voted to logic completely unemotional doctor i would be pleased all right gentlemen as you were yeah i i really like this idea of looking back at Earth's history from the perspective of the 23rd century. They're trying to guess, right? In the episodes when they look back. This, thankfully they got wrong. Kirk decides he wants to check out the ship and wants to take someone along who knows something about the 20th century. He says, give that historian something to do. What's her name? Givers? (laughs) Spock replies, MacGyvers. Uh, So we see MacGyvers in her quarters and there's a big green statue and there's some paintbrushes. She has a painting of a muscular warrior, and she has busts and drawings of all the muscular warrior men and uh, leaders like Napoleon and that. Right away, my first thought was, this woman is living in a fantasy world. Where do you start with her? Uh, It it was odd. It's an odd start to this character. I mean, you definitely got a background for her. My second thought was, upon seeing this, it's like, she's got a lot of time on her hands. She must be sitting around waiting for somebody to go, hey, we need a historian do you know tell us what happened in the you know 21st century or whatever i mean that's and, a great point like what does she do the rest of the time paint. i mean paint oh, apparently but, uh, yeah and there, weren't there like some helmets it didn't look like oh yeah like, maybe like a viking helmet or roman or something back there as well yeah and those drawings dana not good not good I mean, I'm not an art critic. I'm just going to put Apparently that Apparently you are. <laughs> but, but I'm pretending to be today. Uh, they just weren't very good. Every painting that she had, every drawing, the men were very muscular. Yeah. Surprised I didn't see a portrait of myself in there, but it was no. <laughs> <laughs> so we see Kirk and McCoy in the transporter room. You ready, Bo? No. Signed aboard this ship to practice medicine, not to have my atoms scattered back and forth across space by this gadget. You're an old-fashioned boy, McCoy. <laughs> I just love that line. Yeah, I, that, I replayed it like two or three times just to hear him say it again. Oh, yeah, it was great. And and this really goes to a theme for McCoy in the whole show. It's like yeah. he's really skeptical of technology. Maybe not technology, uh, but specifically the transporter. He does not yeah. like the transporter. You know, he makes a valid point, you know. And when you get to the Star Trek, the movie, uh, we see why he's concerned about the, the transporter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I forgot about that. Yes. Kirk asks, where's uh, MacGyver's? And uh, they're getting on the transporter pad, Scotty, Kirk, and McCoy. And MacGyver's comes running in and Kirk kind of gives her a look. And then they get beamed over to the other ship. So the team beams over to the Botany Bay. Uh, there's uh, sleep machines and Kirk says uh, suspended animation. Uh, MacGyver says it took years to travel between planets. And McCoy says the people could be theoretically alive, but he's never seen anything that says it could work. So these, uh, just to kind of have people picture this in their minds, these are almost like, think about bunk beds that are enclosed in individual units that have a glass door on it. Yeah. And it looks like you could just like open the drawer and roll them out or something. Yeah. It reminds me of a cabinet from Ikea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe that's who built it. Who built the ship. Yeah, could be. Yeah. I, I, I have to say though, I love the design of this set. I thought it was the coolest thing. They talk about suspended animation. I assume that's what it would look like, you know? They'd be in these little capsules almost. The other funny thing I thought, Dana, was they talk about suspended animation. For us, suspended animation is the future, and it's how we see maybe being able to travel long distances in space. In this episode of Star Trek, they see that as old technology in the past that they don't need anymore because they invented warp drive. And I just just found that kind of fascinating. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an excellent point. So one of the chambers actually starts becoming kind of active um, and it looks like uh, there's a person inside the chamber and Kirk asks if that would probably be the leader and MacGyver doesn't really hear. She's kind of fixated on the man inside the chamber. She says when they they beam onto the ship and she gets kind of a first look, she says, uh, what a handsome group of people. What a weird, oh, yeah. what a weird thing to say. Like that's the first thing you think of. She finally says, yes, most likely that he's the leader. Yeah. And so then uh, she she says he's probably Sikh, uh, northern Indian area. Uh, they're the most fantastic warriors. And again, she says that with just like, she's so excited. And then uh, something goes wrong with the chamber and the man inside starts dying. And Kirk asks if they can get him out. McCoy says, if we don't, he'll die. So Kirk breaks the glass and opens up the chamber and it kind of like just rolls out like he's on he's on he's almost like a drawer and it just slides out uh which you know again could have been ikea that's one of the things that they their drawers do just slide (laughs) out like that you know i've never been to an ikea never i worked at one for a while yeah Yeah. i yeah any good ikea story didn't they sell meatballs at one time that were making people sick it's one of their biggest things is the swedish meatballs yeah i mean people come to the store just for the swedish meatballs and you mean to get like samples of them or you buy them in a bag no they've got a they've got a restaurant there. No, really? Yeah, that's another big selling point is that you can spend literally all day there, eat lunch. You could have breakfast, lunch, and dinner there. <laughs> now, okay, hold on. And I've seen people do it. <laughs> so, and then they just take a nap on one of the beds or... <laughs> yeah. No, then they just buy a ton of stuff and go back home and just... Yeah. Well, and uh, was it people were getting sick or they were using horse meat? What, what, what was the story again? There was something they determined there was like a bacteria or something got into the meat. They weren't frozen properly or something. I can't remember. Can we get sued for this by Ikea, by the way? Can they sue us? Only if we state something not true and state it's a fact. So I can't remember. 
remember exactly what the facts were. So I think what you're telling me is that it is a fact that the meatballs are made of rotten horse meat. Is that what you're telling me? You want to get sued? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I think this definitely qualifies as the first ramble. Or, or the third. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, I, I just thought, uh, I don't know. I've never, you've mentioned Ikea a couple times now. I've never been into an Ikea. Maybe mm. we can get them as a sponsor of the show. Wouldn't that be great? Not now. <laughs> <laughs> When uh, he comes out, uh, you know, MacGyver goes magnificent again, like all but drooling on this guy. Yeah. I, um, you know, this, this part, I love this episode, right? It's probably one of the most classic, <laughs> but she, the way that she was written did bug me a little bit though, Dana, I got to say. Yeah. It bugged me a lot. And we'll get into that more yeah, as okay. we go along. All right. The man uh, kind of whispers to Kirk and he's like, how long? And Kirk says, we're figuring two centuries. Back on the ship, they said that they count 72 people aboard the Botany Bay. And there was a few of the uh, sleep chambers that were damaged. The leader that they pulled out uh, was is in the sick bay. Kirk is on the bridge and he's uh, saying to Spock, it's an amazing find. So many unanswered questions about those years and Spock replies strange violent period in your history Spock can find no record on the vessel and any of the computer libraries Kirk suspects that since uh, Botany Bay was the name of an Australian penal colony this might have been a way to deport criminals if you're suggesting this was a penal deportation vessel you've arrived at a totally illogical conclusion your earth was on the verge of a dark ages Whole populations were being bombed out of existence. A group of criminals could have been dealt with far more efficiently than wasting one of their most advanced spaceships. Spock goes on to say that it would be a waste of Earth's most advanced spacecraft, but he has no explanation for uh, why the ship is even in existence. Spock also notes the extremely low probability that a vessel of this type could have survived for so long and managed to leave Earth's solar system. In sickbay, McCoy tells Kirk that the man is a superior specimen. Kirk says, an improved breed of human? That's what the eugenic wars were all about. MacGyver comes in. She's, uh, I don't think I need to state this again, but she's obviously interested in Khan. And Kirk pulls her aside and says he would not rate her performance well as uh, she finds a man compelling personally and is not basically doing her job. Kirk and MacGyver both leave and we see it's just uh, McCoy in the other room and Khan in sickbay wakes up. As he's stretching, uh, he sees uh, some medical instruments on the wall on a, in a display on the wall across the room and these are old you know i mean there's like a saw in there and there's a couple uh smaller scalpels and there's a large scalpel you know just different instruments that i'm guessing hadn't been used in 100 years 200 years yeah now my wife That's- is a physician and i asked her to come down and take a look at this episode and she's like really the whole episode and i was like no just this one spot i'll, I'll pause it for you i want to know what these implements are so yeah. here's what's on there uh the two large large implements, those are forceps to pull a baby out if it's stuck when the baby's being delivered. Uh, there was a hand drill in the center. That's for skulls, yeah. uh, to drill holes in skulls. There was an otoscope to look in ears. Uh, there was a rake. It looks like a weird curved big fork. And uh, that was um, used in surgeries to pull the skin back so the surgeons could look inside whatever they're, <laughs> whatever they're digging at down there. There were some nail clippers that looked like for nasty big toenails. I mean, these, <laughs> those clippers were huge. I don't know if you noticed those. They're 
Yeah. yeah they're just uh, ick. Uh, and then there was what looked like a tooth puller. So those were the implements. And then the scalpels, like you said, there was a, there was a saw, like a larger scalpel, and then a couple of other scalpels in there as well. So when McCoy comes back to check on his patient, the man is pretending to be asleep. Yeah, and when McCoy is uh, looking closer at him, the man grabs him by the throat and holds the knife up to his throat. And McCoy says, Well, either choke me or cut my throat. It would be most effective if you would cut the carotid artery just under the left ear. Another great McCoy uh, line. Yeah, so. that was a great line. Yeah. The man says, where am I? And McCoy says, uh, right now you're holding a weapon to your doctor's throat. The man lets go and McCoy finally says, uh, you're aboard the USS Enterprise. And the man asks right away to see the captain. And he says, I have many questions. Mm-hmm. And it's not really asking. The way he says it, it's almost like an order. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Kirk comes in, he introduces himself after some basic questions where Kirk tells him the rest of the crew will be revived once they get to uh, Starbase 12. The man finally says his name is Khan, but he won't say anything else. And when Kirk presses him for more details, suddenly he's getting a little tired. And he says, uh, I need some rest. And so they agree to continue their conversation later. And then Khan asks to see the specification manuals for the ship as uh, he was an engineer. And so Kirk (laughs) just says... Yeah, you can find anything you want here on the ship's computers. This seems like a pretty bad idea. Yeah, bad. Being bad. that they know nothing about this guy. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kirk asks Spock if Khan could be a product of selective breeding. Uh, and Spock says there that there is that possibility. In 1993, these young supermen took power in over 40 nations. And Spock says uh, he collected some names and made some counts. And there were 80 or 90 of these quote-unquote supermen who were unaccounted for when they were finally defeated. So MacGyvers goes to visit Khan, and uh, quite honestly, Dan, I'm surprised she like kept her clothes on when she entered the room. She's just so affected by him. Well, and again, I, yeah. I think this is really <laughs> clearly a case of a man writing a female's part in this kind of episode. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just, it just is not realistic to me. We've discussed this many, many times on the podcast. Star Trek was ahead of its time in a lot of ways, but they were also a product of the 60s and a very sexist society uh, it was. And certainly Hollywood was not immune from that. In fact, it probably was worse than many places. And so characters got written that way. I would think looking back on this role that uh, the actress had to be like, wow, this is a terrible character. Well, she's but, dead. Uh, so there you go. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah, so she, we don't have to worry about her listening to no, us. we don't. MacGyvers goes to visit Khan, and then he calls her a beautiful woman, and she looks like she's going to melt. <laughs> Khan asks her about her hairstyle. So he was an engineer, but in, secretly wanted to be a hairstylist. And, uh, <laughs> and he says, it's not attractive. You should wear it down. But maybe he was in school. He was confused. I mean, this is, you know, he's about to go to space, right? I mean, they've got these ships that can go into space. And he thought he was signing up for the cosmology program. But he actually went to the wrong classroom and it was cosmetology. And that's how he ended up doing her hair. So it's a it's a common mistake in the future. A lot of hairstylists, not enough people who know about outer space. Cosmology? Study of outer space, yeah. Cosmology, the cosmos. Back to the show. <laughs> And that's kind of how we leave it, that he's just kind of like caressing her neck and she's watching him in the mirror. So then we uh, we go to the officer's mess. And as the crew prepares for a full dress 
banquet, and McCoy wonders if the Enterprise is hosting a fleet admiral. Kirk replies it was MacGyver's idea to give Khan a welcome to their century. Everyone's dressed for the occasion. They're waiting for Khan to arrive. So at the banquet, Khan explains the nature of his journey from Earth, uh, going in search of adventure. Kirk uh, bluntly asks Khan, You fled. Why? Were you afraid? I've never been afraid. But you left at the very time mankind needed courage. We offered the world order. Khan congratulates Kirk on his discovery of Khan's intent. And then he says uh, he's fatigued again and needs to return to his quarters. In uh, Khan's room, he's uh, kind of pacing around. He looks quite unhappy. And then MacGyver comes in and she apologizes for the captain's attack. Khan comments that uh, their reaction is understandable, given that uh, he is something of a mystery to them. Khan tells MacGyver he intends to take control of the Enterprise and demands her help. She like comes to him and clings to him and then he pushes her away. And then finally he says like, either you're going to help me or not. Finally, she's while she's on the floor, almost in tears, she just promises she'll do anything she can to help him. So we go back to the briefing room where Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Scott uh, consult the historical records and determine that their guest is none other than Khan Noonien Singh, one of the genetically engineered tyrants of the eugenics wars. From 1992 to 1996, he was absolute ruler of one quarter of the earth. Scott admits he's always had a sneaking admiration for this one. And Kirk and McCoy adding that uh, his rule lacked the usual massacres and internal wars endemic to tyrants. Spock counters that he also severely curtailed freedoms and is alarmed at the romantic tone of the humans towards this ruthless dictator. And Kirk replies, Mr. Spock, you misunderstand us. We can be against him and admire him all at the same time. Illogical. Totally. Kirk orders that they put a security guard in place uh, on Khan's quarters. Khan breaks out of his quarters. It, it's kind of neat. It's He does like a little yoga thing, concentration, almost like a martial arts. Yeah. And then he uh, grabs the door uh, with both hands and kind of pulls it back just enough so he can get his fingers inside the door and pull it back. And then when he does, he steps out in the hall and hits the guard and sends him flying. Yeah. But he picks up the phaser and uh, takes off running. And we see MacGyver's is holding the transporter chief, Kyle, at phaser point at this point. And Khan comes in as Kyle backs up towards the door and Khan grabs him by the back of the neck and does kind of like a Vulcan nerve pinch type of thing. And Kyle just kind of crumbles. Yeah. MacGyver's beams Khan over to the Botany Bay to revive his people. Back on the bridge, uh, security alerts Kirk that Khan has escaped. I've got a plot hole here that I, I need to discuss. Okay, do it. How long was Khan gone? <laughs> That's a good question, because it would take some time to revive all those people on the ship, right? He knocked out a security guard. In the hallway. He didn't drag him off into his room or anything, just took the phaser and ran. Yeah. Gets over there, wakes up his crew, 72 people walking through the ship. Nobody else signals an alarm. (laughs) No, you know. I'm thinking he had to be gone at least an hour. Yeah, that is a huge plot hole. You're right. When security alerts Kirk uh, that Khan has escaped, uh, maybe the guy that he knocked out was the lone security guard that they had. Maybe everybody else had taken off for a week to Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. Right. uh, They're shopping at Ikea for meatballs. (laughs) 
After security tells uh, Kirk that Khan has escaped, nothing's working on the bridge all of a sudden. Uh, communications are jammed, and then life support is uh, starting to go out. And Kirk calls to engineering to find out why, and he's answered by Khan, who's taking control of engineering. They say they're cutting off life support. Everyone on the bridge eventually passes out. The crew awakens and uh, they're being held at phaser point by Khan's men in one of the briefing rooms. Khan asks the Enterprise crew to join him. What he's done is put Kirk in a decompression chamber and stating that they will be forced to watch him die unless they join him, which is a pretty good tactic, yeah. seems like to me. So yeah. None of the captive crew agree to join him and Khan becomes kind of infuriated by their resistance. Mm -hmm. They ask Uhura to bring up the monitor so they can see the decompression compression chamber. Yuhura first says no, and this guy comes over and kind of forces her, sits her in the chair, and she gives him a look. Like, you do that again, I'm, I'm going to make your, your worst nightmare come true. Yeah. And then... He smacks her. Yeah, that part and, That part was a little shocking to me. Did you find that a little shocking? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he just backhands her, right? Just smacks her. Yeah. yeah. And she's kind of like a little bit cowed by that, you know? And uh, so she uh, does what she can to bring up the bring up the picture. That's when Khan's going on and on. And he's saying, you're gonna, unless you join me, you're going to watch your captain die. And MacGyver's, this is where MacGyver says, can she leave? She doesn't want to watch Kirk die. She doesn't want to watch this whole thing. And Khan says, okay. Okay, but he had hoped that she would stay. Yeah. A guard takes Spock out of the room and we cut to MacGyver uh, coming up by the decompression chamber and there's a guard stand there and he's kind of looking at the chamber and she gets a hypodermic type thing and stabs it in his arm and knocks him out. And then she lets Kirk out of the decompression chamber. Yeah. Just then, uh, Spock comes in the doorway with this guard behind him. Kirk gets ready to like jump the guy. Kirk goes to jump him, but the guy's strong and he's kind of fighting Kirk. And then Spock, of course, uses the Vulcan nerve pinch to knock the guy out. Right. So they decide to gas all the decks except the one that they're on. And we go back to the conference and that's, room, and that's to uh, and that's to knock out the intruders on the ship, right? Yeah. So we go back to the conference room, then gas starts pouring out through the vents and Khan covers his face and runs out the door. And this is my one of my other favorite parts is Scotty stands up from his chair and just does like a left hook on the guy behind him, knocks him out. Yeah. And then he runs out to chase Khan, doesn't he? So the next thing we see is Scotty in the hallway trying to catch his breath. And Kirk comes up and asks where Khan is. And Scotty says he doesn't know. Spock calls to Kirk uh, through the intercom and says Khan must be in the engineering section. So Kirk runs off to engineering, but we see in engineering that Khan has heard this whole conversation between Kirk and Spock. Kirk has, does have a phaser, and when he comes in, Khan grabs him. You could see he's kind of like getting ready to try to break the arm just with one hand, and then he grabs the phaser from his hands, and he crushes it in front of Kirk. He like bends and, it, right? And yeah, it, it must have been made out of Play-Doh or something. Yeah, Don't you yeah. think twisting a phaser like that would make it explode? Well, yeah, that was one of my questions is there's got to be something inside the phaser that activates it and allows you to warm coffee and heat rocks right. and I mean, stuff. Yeah, and so. exactly. <laughs> I mean, there has to be a power source in there. And if you're just, it'd be like if you just took a, I don't know, a battery and busted it open. So badness yeah. is going to happen. Stuff's going to come out and it's not going to be good. So just then, uh, 
a yellow light starts flashing by the engineering station where Khan was sitting. And he says, uh, I read your manuals. That signal means an overload in progress. Your ship flares up like an exploding sun in minutes. Kirk tries to get over the to the board and Khan throws him. And in jump, two stuntmen. Yeah. <laughs> who, who, and it's way obvious that these are oh, stuntmen. Really, really <laughs> obvious. Yeah. I always think that the producers and such back then must have thought nobody's ever going to be able to tell. Yeah. And who would think that two goobers in 2022 would be watching this in (laughs) super high def and then slow motion and pausing it and rewinding it, looking at it several times just so they can see the the flaws. There's, it's a pretty good fight though. I mean, they a lot of throwing around and Khan just kind of like seems to treat Kirk like a puppet for the most part, but Kirk gets a couple good punches in and kicks. He grabs Kirk and throws him over by the panel again. Kirk puts his hand on something down below the panel. It's it's like a, I don't know what it is, but it's like a bar yeah. with kind of a head on it. Uh-huh. And Khan says, I am five times your strength. You are no match for me. And he comes running at Kirk and Kirk takes this bar and like hits him right in the stomach with it. That causes him to double over and then Kirk hits him in the back with it. Like he's wailing then, on uh, Then Kirk turns back to the uh, panel and uh, turns off the stuff that was causing the ship to overload. And then he kind of looks back at Con. He should have hit him a few more times. <laughs> now those, the, that was just one of several of these bars that were inserted into the panel uh, in engineering. And that's the only time we see those. I We didn't see them. We've never seen them before. We've seen engineering yeah. several times. We've seen that specific shot in e- engineering. It's the first and last time those bars ever show up in Star Trek. Next thing we see is there's a formal hearing. Kirk surprises everyone as he drops all the charges against Khan and his people. Kirk considers it a waste to put Khan into a penal colony. Kirk gives Khan the offer of taming an uninhabited world on SETI Alpha 5. After just a little bit of thought, uh, Khan accepts. And he uh, says uh, to Kirk, I'm sure you're familiar with Milton's Paradise Lost. And Kirk kind of nods. And then uh, says he understands. Kirk asks MacGyvers. She's given the option of a court-martial or accompanying Khan and his people. Mm-hmm. And MacGyvers chooses to join Khan and his people. Khan says, I will take her. And he says, I got something else I wanted. He says, a world to win, an empire to build. Scotty says he's. Uh, it's a bit of a shame for a Scotsman to admit it, but he's not up on his Milton. Statement Lucifer made when he fell into the pit. It is better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. Spock says, Would be interesting, Captain, to return to that world in a hundred years and learn what crop had sprung from the seed you planted today. Yes, Mr. Spock. It would indeed. So that line by Spock is really interesting. And that's why I thought that this was right for a sequel. Now, they had no clue they were going to write a movie called Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan in 1967, right? No clue that that was ever going to happen. But I thought a sequel within the Star Trek series was definitely possible. Yeah. It it seems like in the third season could have been something to revisit. Yeah. But I didn't read anything Um, anywhere um, that anyone involved in the show said that. Have you read any, come across it? No, I, and I was looking for that. Yeah. But that's nothing, but that's how the show ends, right? It just ends right there, doesn't it? Or is there more? I can't remember. Is there more? Are they on the No, that's it. Hey, Dan, before we go into all of our other stuff, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, let's do that. This guy was all over the stage and screen uh, in the 40s and 50s. 
He was in musicals. He starred with a lot of famous people. He was in uh, movies with Lana Turner, Clark Gable. And uh, he was, you know, really like a big time Latin lover kind of character. But he was a dancer, actor. In 1951, uh, on a set with uh, Clark Gable, got run over by a horse Ooh. and uh, badly injured his back. And it caused a limp. This was something I think one of the reasons why he stayed in such great shape was to try to control his body more. He even continued to dance on stage wow. in the late 50s and early 60s. He did television and movies. Uh, like I said, he played a variety of characters. And uh, of course, many people remember him from uh, Fantasy Island oh, yeah. as Mr. Rourke. Mm-hmm. But over his career, he appeared in over 200 film and TV projects. Wow. So this episode was probably filmed in uh, late 1966 to be broadcast in early 1967. He was a pretty well-known actor at the time. Oh, yeah. So my guess is he's probably one of the biggest guest stars they ever had on the show. Other than Clint Howard. Other than Clint Howard. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Let's talk about the uh, themes and dilemmas. Got anything for us there, Dan? Yeah. uh, You know, this whole idea of selective breeding, uh, the eugenics program that they talked about. You know, we do have technology now where humans could be cloned. Um, And one of the questions I have is, should we do this? If so, like, where do we draw the line? So, you know, can you see uh, cases where gene editing would be beneficial? And can you see maybe where that line should be drawn? They can do this type of uh, analysis of your genes, your DNA, and see if you have proclivity for cancer or mental illness even. Mm -hmm. They could go in and adjust, change your genes, edit them so that wasn't there. Yeah, I think that would be a great thing. I don't know. When you start manipulating genes, you know, you're just a step away from creating super beings. So what about, uh, let's say someone is wealthy enough and they can afford the technology to say, I want my children to be over six feet tall. I want them to have blonde hair. I want them to have blue eyes. Should that be allowed or do you say you know, there's got to be a line someplace. We have to actually legislate that. Well, then is it just, you know, the the wealthy that can afford this mm-hmm. and, you know, the poor people are still sick. Again, now you've got a class struggle going but on. But is that any different where, than it is now where someone who's wealthy, they can afford better cancer treatment. They can afford even elective yeah. things like different types of body implants. They can afford cosmetic surgery, you know? So what's the difference? I mean, I'm, I struggle with this thing because I, I think it's really dangerous. Maybe instead of parents saying, I want a kid to be six feet tall, all of a sudden you've got leaders of countries who are now saying, I want to create these super soldiers. I can see that happening. And if the technology is there, someone's going to use it. Yeah. So what about you for uh, some dilemmas in this episode? The the one thing that stood out to me, and I kept thinking about this as the show went on, was uh, the seductive nature of powerful people. Mm. And we see it in politics. They talk about, you know, certain politics politicians having great charisma, be able to influence people. And it seems like the more power that you have, 
people admire you. Yeah. Uh, they might not like you, but they can admire you for your abilities. Yeah. Henry Kissinger, who was Nixon's Secretary of State, has a famous line where he says that power is the ultimate aphrodisiac. And I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. You know, it's how Khan controls uh, MacGyver's. Yeah. He's a master manipulator. Right. Well, it, I've often thought about this idea of power and, and its kind of associated twin, which is fame. And people want to be around famous people. People who aren't famous just because a lot of people know them. They didn't do anything important in life. You know, the Kardashians. For example, just gonna say, yeah. yeah. I mean, and this this idea of fame has always has always intrigued me. Like, why do we as humans? Why are we drawn to that? Look at all the presidents in the in history, all the power that they had, the the kings and queens over time, yeah. great actors and actresses. People, you know, obsess over and want to. Uh, they get their autographs and they get articles of their clothing and stuff. Well, know, this is going to happen to us pretty soon, I think. Just, I'm just waiting for the moment. <laughs> just <laughs> to give an article of clothing to somebody. <laughs> Who's the most famous person you ever met? Uh, I met Carlos Santana one time. Did you really? Shook his hand. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? I met Bill Clinton, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Dana, how about a best part of this episode for you? Khan. Cardo Monoban just owns that character. How about you? You got a best yeah, one? Yeah, exactly the same. Do you have another best part? When Scotty decked uh, one of Khan's oh, yeah, men. that was great. I watched it two or three times. It's not a great punch, but uh, just the fact that Scotty just stood up and decked this yeah, guy. I, yeah. I really like that. What about worst moments for you? Uh, just this infatuation that MacGyver's has with strong men. Yeah, I just found That's... that annoying and really not believable. And once again, as we've kind of discussed, I think it's just a reflection of the writers being a product of their culture in the 60s. Yeah. How about a worst part for you? What the hell is the historian's job on the ship? <laughs> I just don't even understand why she's there. You know, that just bothered me. I, I don't know what the hell a historian would be doing on a ship well, like Well, she that, didn't know so. either, apparently. <laughs> So, Dan, what are our counts up to this week? Well, we got skunked on every single one, Dana. Okay, what's the tally for, uh, let's start with Rip Shirts. Uh, Rip Shirt, the shirtless Kirk, Rip Shirt, Kirk count uh, is nine because there were none. But we had the opportunity, Dana, didn't we? Yeah, I, th I was sure with that fight that we were going to get a Rip I Shirt. I thought so too, but nope. So we're stuck at nine. Dead crewman? Uh, none. Uh, I thought we might have gotten a few in this one too, but 25.5. He's dead, Jim. Nope. So we're stuck at three. And I'm a doctor, not a fill in the Once blank. Once again, zero. Stuck at one. And finally, uh, the the latest one we added was Supreme Beings. Yeah. I mean, Khan and his people are, you know, exceptional, but they're not Supreme Beings. So zero. We are stuck at four. <laughs> How about this day in history, Dana? Glad you asked, Dana. I know. <laughs> By the way, I have to say, this is my wife's favorite part of the show. Not us talking about like all the cool <laughs> stuff about Star Trek. She just wants to hear about this date in history. Well, the monkeys were finally uh, unseated from the number one spot in the U.S. and the U.K. Wow. Uh, the Buckingham song, Kind of a Drag, oh, yeah. was number one in the U.S. And in the U.K., it was Petula Clark's This Is My Song. I don't even know that one. Me either. Not a whole lot else was going on on February 16th, but the week of February 16th, we had a few things going on. February 17th, investigative reporter David Snyder of the New Orleans State's 
item, published the front page story, DA here launches full JFK death plot probe, revealing that the city's district attorney, Jim Garrison, had spent more than $8,000 in travel expenses for three staff members in order to investigate the 1963 assassination of President John F. Kennedy. The movie JFK would be based on the conspiracy theories put forward by Garrison and others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kevin Costner plays him in the movie JFK. The American space probe Lunar Orbiter 3 sent back the first detailed pictures of the far side of the moon that's not visible from Earth. Jose Suarez, a resident of Brooklyn, New York, uh, who had confessed to stabbing his common-law wife and her five children to death in 1966, was freed and the charges were dismissed because of the failure of interrogators to give him the Miranda warning, advising him of his rights to an attorney. Um, Born on February 20th, Kurt Cobain, uh, American musician and artist, and most notably known as the leader of the band Nirvana. Hey, just a reminder, we are looking for people to come on the show and tell us about their Star Trek experiences or their uh, newfound love for Star Trek. Uh, we are compiling a list right now. So if you want to be part of it, please send us an email and uh, we'll get in touch with you and try to set something up for the new year. And especially if you are or know J.J. Abrams, we're still waiting. We're 22 episodes in and the guy hasn't gotten back to us, Dana. Once yeah. again, J.J., if you're listening or anyone knows J.J., JJ, have them get a hold of us. Damn it, Jim Podcast at gmail.com. So, Dan, what show are we going to be talking about next week? Next week, Dana, we have a taste of Armageddon. Should be another good show. We're having a blast doing this. So, I'm um, looking forward to next week. Yeah, enjoy the rest of your week, Dana, and I will see you next week. Have a great weekend. You too, Dan. And as always, thanks for listening to us and live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for the episode, A Taste of Armageddon. Enjoy the rest of your week. And until then, remember to live long and prosper.